0: Church, have spent literally months kind of narrowing down and thinking about and praying through, okay, what is our primary vision? What is our primary purpose? What are we about as a church? What are we doing here? And we, come up, we came up with four statements here. We're saying that we are the Austin Stone, that we love God, and we love the church, we love the city, and we love the nations. If you're new here to the Austin Stone and you're visiting, if you wanna know what we're all about, that's it. We love God. We love the local church. We love the city and we love the nations. That is who we are in a nutshell. Every single solitary thing that we do as a group of believers is motivated and find its foundation in those four statements. Now, what I wanna do today is I I wanna take that first statement that we're the Austin Stone and we love God and I wanna unpack what that means. What does it mean for us to be a church? And what does it look like for you to be an individual that loves God? Now that sounds pretty straightforward. I mean, this honestly might be the most um, theologically simple sermon you're ever gonna hear in the, in the history of the Austin Stone. I mean, that's the thesis of the sermon. Hey guys, I want you to go love God, that's it. There's nothing profound about that. And you may be thinking, well, Matt, we're, we're a church. Um, of course, we love God, that's, that should be what we're about but you'd be surprised to know and to realize how easy it is for an individual or for a church to drift away from that just most foundational of of foundations, this idea that we're to be a church that, that is birthed and lives and moves and does everything we do out of our love for Jesus Christ. And so let's look at Revelation chapter two because what Revelation does is it talks about a church's propensity to walk away from its first love of Jesus Christ. Now let's go there, Revelation chapter two, verse one. This is Jesus speaking, and in Revelation, at the beginning of Revelation, um, Jesus talks to these seven churches, and what he does in these seven churches is he kinda tells them all the things that they're doing well as a church, and then he talks about the things that they're not doing well as a church, but this is him speaking, Revelation two, he's speaking to the church in Ephesus, and he says this, to the angel, of the church in Ephesus, that word angel um, means messenger in the Greek, it's just a word that means messenger, so there's debate as to whether there's an angel or whether he's talking to the preacher of the church or the messenger of the church in Ephesus, but he says this, he begins to describe himself and he said the one, speaking of himself, he says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, and so he's, he's talking to the church, this young New Testament church in Ephesus, and he describes himself two ways. He says, I'm the one that holds the seven stars in my right hand in church. I have absolutely no idea what that means. And then he goes on and he says, I'm the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, I do know what that means. And so when Jesus says, I'm the one that walks among the seven golden lampstands, here's what he means. The seven golden lampstands were representative of those seven churches. And so what he's saying when he's saying, I'm the one that walks among the church, the churches, he's saying that in a very real and tangible sense, Jesus' power and his presence is showing up, it's manifesting itself in these seven churches. Okay, now don't forget that because that's going to be critical at the end of this text. Jesus says, I'm the one that walks among the seven churches. Now, watch what he says next because what he's gonna do is he's gonna point out the three things that this church in Ephesus does really well, right? Now before he does this, he makes a statement that I've never paid attention to before but I did this week. Look at verse two. Jesus said, I know your deeds. And so he's about to tell this church like if Jesus were preaching to the Austin Stone, he's kind of preaching to Ephesus and he's about to say all the things they're doing great, but he stops and he says, hey, I want you guys to know something. I know your deeds. Never paid attention to that. I've preached this, I don't know, 15 times in my life. I've never noticed, but what, what Jesus is saying, this is, the, this is the king of kings and this is the Lord of lords and what he just told the church in Ephesus is, hey, I'm, I'm watching you. I'm watching you. I think the whole point of of Revelation two, the whole point of what he's saying when he says, I know your deeds, I think he's pointing out to them and to us that there's a right way to do church. And there's a wrong way to do church. We don't think about that often in America. There's a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way to do it, and Jesus cares about how we are doing it. He says, I know your deeds. I see the way that you're being a church. And then he goes on, he begins to tell them this little church in Ephesus what they're doing well. He says in Revelation 2.2, 2, he says, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance. Now look at the first thing he tells them they're doing right. He says that you cannot tolerate evil men and that you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false. And so the first thing that Jesus says, hey, you guys are doing really well, I see it. And it's a good thing, so you don't tolerate evil men. You don't tolerate evil men. You you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and you found them to be false. And so in short, what Jesus is saying to this church that they're doing well is that he's saying, look, I see the fact that you care about your church's holiness. You're a group of people that's coming to church. You're not just coming to church, but you care about the church's holiness. You care about individual people's holiness in the church. This also means that they were a church that cared about sound doctrine. They were lifting up the Bible as the standard for the way that they were to live their lives. They were guarding and protecting sound doctrine and they were living by it. And Jesus says, I see that and I want you to know it's a good thing. Keep it up. And then he goes on. In verse three, Jesus said, here's the second thing, you have perseverance and you have endured for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. He said you have perseverance, you've endured for my name's sake, you have not grown weary. Now look at that middle phrase there. He says you have endured for my name's sake. That word endured right there in the original language, New Testament was written in Greek, that's a word that carries with it the idea of, like when it was originally used, was like if you were carrying a water pot and you were enduring the weight of the pot of water on your head. So back in the day, people didn't have sinks. They didn't have running water. There would typically be a, like a well in the center of the town, and so people would have to grab their clay water pot and haul that thing to the well, fill that thing up, and then put it probably on your head, or on your back, and walk it all the way to the house. And that's what Jesus, that's the word that he uses. He says, I see that you're enduring, you're carrying the weight of what? He says, my namesake. He's saying, I see that you're carrying the weight of the cause of my name and you're not growing weary. And so this is a church that is living on mission for Jesus Christ. These are people that are getting up in the morning and they're putting on the weight of the gospel, they're walking out the doors and they're living for Jesus and they're not growing weary. And then in verse six, he says, kind of the third and final thing that they're doing well as a church. Look at verse six. He says, "In this you do have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate." So, pretty pretty strong statement by Jesus. He said, "One of the things that I see your church is doing really well is that you do, you guys hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I happen to also hate." And you think, "Well, what in the world are the Nicolaitans doing that?" These people, this church hated it, and Jesus also hated it. Well, here's the short version. The Nicolaitans were a church, and listen carefully. They were a church that was trying to reach their culture by being like the culture. They were were trying to reach their city, or they thought, rather, they could reach their city if they were just culturally relevant enough and cool enough, and people would start to like them and start coming to church. And I've seen this, we've, we've got, guys, we've got churches like this all over the United States of America. And you, all you gotta do is just turn on the TV and, you, and go to the channels there in the, I don't know, three or four hundreds, and, and you'll notice that that there are preachers and they get up and all, all they ever talk about is how you can have a better life. And all they ever talk about is, is, is how you can have a better future. And, you'll hear this phrase all the time that you need to discover your destiny which I, to this day I have no idea what that means you know the, you you see these churches all across America over the last 3 decades when kind of the seeker friendly movement hit the united states that that they're 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 so intent on being culturally relevant and cool that that they've walked away from teaching the bible in churches like this you you see you, you almost never ever hear these churches talk about sin, or God's holiness, and how our sin separates us from God. You almost never hear these churches speak about the death of Christ for the payment of sins, and, and our desperate need for his, the, uh, our, our, our trusting into his death and his resurrection for the payment of sins. You almost never hear churches like this speak about the call over and over and over again in the Bible. 500 times in the New Testament, you see this call in our lives as believers to walk in obedience with God. You never hear them talk about suffering for Christ, which is all through the scriptures. You never hear them talk about heaven, and you certainly never hear them talk about hell, which Jesus absolutely believed in. And so that's what the Nicolaitans had done. Listen, they bent so far to the culture that they stopped being salt and light in the culture. They bent so far to, to the culture that they stopped being able to speak prophetically into the culture. And Jesus looks at this church in Ephesus and he says, you aren't doing that and that's a really good thing because I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, Here's the thing that hit me. One of the first times I preached through Revelation two is it kind of it kind of hit me that I don't know about you, but so far the church in Ephesus sounds like a pretty amazing church. Y'all with me? That's like a pretty amazing church. I mean, let's think about what we've learned so far. This is you know if if I had moved into Austin, Texas, and I wasn't a church planner and I was looking for a place to put my family and and plant our roots and and make a church home, if I heard that there was a church that was holding on to sound doctrine, that was lifting up the Bible as the standard for my life, If, if I heard that there was a church that that was, that was not a Christian country club, but they were living their lives and calling their people to live every day of their life on mission for Jesus. If I heard of a church that was saying, look, we're gonna live and we're gonna preach the Bible verse by verse, no matter what it says, we're not gonna try to be cool and culturally relevant. We're gonna teach what the word of God is. I'm gonna tell you guys, I'm going to that church. It's an incredible church. Honestly, it sounds a whole lot like us at the Austin Stone, you think, oh man, this th- these guys have it together, they're crushing it. But then, Jesus kinda stops, and after all the things that they're doing well as a church, he says, guys, despite all those three things that are incredible and amazing, Jesus says there's one thing. There's one thing that you've done, and when you, when you guys are doing it, you're completely dropping the ball. And he's going to tell them, look, there are some, there's going to be some consequences as a church that if you don't write the course, if you don't kind of come back and begin to do this one thing that you've stopped to do, he said the consequences are incredible. Here it is, Revelation 2.4. Here's the one thing Jesus says that they had stopped doing as a church. Jesus says, but this I have against you, that you've left your first love. He says, look, you're defending sound doctrine. You're living on mission. You're you're speaking prophetically into the culture, not bending to the culture, but there's one thing. There's one thing that you're not doing, and Jesus says, by the way, this is more important than anything else. Jesus said, you have stopped being in love with me. Jesus said, somewhere along the way, in all the things that you were doing great as a church, I stopped being your first love. Guys, this is easy to do. This is so easy to do for multiple reasons. It's so easy to do. I've seen this in in my own life. I shared with you guys last week that there was kind of a night where God really captured my heart, where he transferred me from darkness into the light. And, And it was right after that that I went through a season where hands down, Hands down, as I look at my life, this the the, the person of Jesus Christ and my relationship with him was the single most important thing in my life, bar none. I call that season my first love phase. I just, man, I couldn't, when Sunday morning, when I woke up, I could not wait to get to church. There was not, it was not even like an option in my mind, am I gonna do this today, am I gonna do that today? I could not wait to get to church and to worship him. I spent hours of my week and the word of God, I couldn't get enough of it. I poured over the scriptures. I just wanted to be with Jesus and said under his word, I, I carried on this kind of ongoing conversation with the Lord throughout the day. Um, he was my first love and everything that, listen, don't miss this, everything that I did for Jesus, everything that I did for the Lord during that time came from an overflow of my love for Jesus, do you see that? I was out doing things for Christ, but I was doing them because of this first and foremost love in my life for him. But somewhere along the way, and I've gone through seasons of ups and downs in this throughout my life, there are times in my life where going to church becomes just something that I'm supposed to do on a Sunday. There have been times in my life where just reading the Bible is, is what I do because that's just what good Christians do. There are times in my life where sharing my faith in Christ with people that don't know God became something that I looked at as I, I needed to check off a checklist in order to be kind of a good Christian. There've been seasons in my life it's easy to fall into where I stop serving Jesus out of an overflow of my relationship and my love for Jesus and I just go through the motions of the Christian life. I think there was probably any time throughout all of my life and you could have stopped and looked at me and said, man, this is a guy that's deeply in love with Jesus, but if you looked at my heart, you would see that I was doing all this stuff for Christ, but I wasn't doing it out of my first love for him. And that's what happened to the church in Ephesus. And I want you to watch what Jesus says are the consequences. I mean, this is crazy. See what Jesus says is gonna kinda happen if the church doesn't go back to the place where they as a group and, and them as individual people were ministering and doing church because of an overflow of their love for Christ. In Revelation five. Jesus says, excuse me, therefore remember where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. In other words, do all the stuff you were doing, do all the stuff you are doing, but do it out of an overflow of your love. Do the deeds you did at first, hear the consequences. He says, or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. And guys, for me as a pastor, as a guy that's one of, the, one of the folks that's kind of leading this body, to me, that's one of the most haunting verses in all of the Bible to me. Because what Jesus tells them, look, if you don't go back to the place where, where the reason you're doing what you're doing is because you're in love with me, He says, I'm gonna remove your lampstand from its place. Now, what does that mean? And you remember at the beginning, Jesus described himself as the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So what he's saying is that if the church kind of gets to that place where they're doing all this stuff for Jesus, but they're not doing it out of an overflow of their love for Christ, if they do not come back from the place where Jesus is their first love, he says, I'm gonna remove your lampstand from its place. And what he's saying is this, that I'm going to remove my blessing and the power of my presence from your church. That's what he's saying. I'm gonna remove uh, my manifest blessing and the power of my presence from your church. I wanna tell you guys why for me that's the most haunting verse in the Bible, one of the top two or three, because guys, there is nothing in the world I can think of that is more pointless than being a church where the power and presence of God is not at. There's nothing I can think of in all of my life that would be more ridiculous than being a church that doesn't have the presence and the power of the Lord. The only thing, in case you don't know this, the only thing that makes church worth doing in the end of the day is is a church that is being transformed and moved and, and founded out of the presence and the power of Almighty God. You ever been to a church? Most of you probably could say yes. Most of you ever been to a church that did not have the power and presence of God in it? You ever, you ever been to been to a church and maybe the best way you could describe it is you walked in, you walked out, and you're like, man, that was dead. There's no life there. That's a church where Jesus has removed his lampstand. Listen, preaching, preaching that is devoid of the presence of God is nothing more than a motivational speech. Preaching Is nothing more than a motivational speech when you remove the presence and the blessing of God. Worship, worship that is devoid of the presence of God, is nothing more than a concert. That's all it is. Christian community, Christian small groups that is devoid of the presence and the power and the blessing of Almighty God is nothing more than a supper club with Christians in it. A church. That, that the presence and the power of God, a church where the lampstand has been removed is nothing more than a country club that Christians are showing up to and it, uh, you know, having some programs that they're a part of. I'm telling you guys right now that if we're, if we're gonna be a church at some point where the presence of Jesus Christ is not with us, we are monumentally wasting our time. There are a thousand things that I can think of that I would rather do on a Sunday morning than come and be a part of a church where Jesus ain't at. I would much rather sleep late. I'd much rather sleep late, get up, have a cup of coffee, read the paper, go to brunch, have a quiet afternoon watching football, and for crying out loud, keep my tide checked if I'm not gonna be a part of a church where the presence of Almighty God is moving. And that's why it's so critical. And I'm not just saying this for us as a church, I'm saying that for you as an individual who's a part of this church. It's critical that the single, solitary, most important, most foundational, most critical thing that you and I could ever do is to be a church and to be a people that are deeply and profoundly and primarily in love with Jesus Christ. And so I think that brings us kind of to an important question. What does that look like? You know, what does it, what does it look like to be a person that, that genuinely loves God? What does it look like for me to be a person that, that has Jesus as, as my first love? Because I think it's an important question because I guarantee you, if you're a Christian here today and I were to walk up and say, hey, do you love God, every single one of you, would say yes. There wouldn't be one person go that's a Christian and say no, I don't I don't love God. Uh, you know, I, we need to get to the root of what, is, what does God mean? What does Jesus mean when he calls us to love him first and, and to love him? I think um, I, I, I think we gotta ask the question, does loving God mean that we just like God? Does loving God mean that that we just kind of have these warm and fuzzy feelings for him? Are we are we people that we yeah, we really love God if we have these warm and fuzzy feelings for him? Does does loving God mean that you go out there and you commit to him and you obey to him but you never have warm and fuzzy feelings for him? What does it mean to love the Lord and to love him first? Well, I think Jesus gives us a clue. Let's turn quickly to Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Matthew twenty-two, thirty-seven, Because Jesus talks about this. He describes what it kind of looks like, what the picture is for his followers to love him and to love the Lord. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, Jesus is speaking and he says, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. In another place in the scripture, kind of quoting the same verse said, and with all your strength, and Jesus continues and says, this is the great and the first commandment. He's saying, hey, this, this is it. This is the, this is the greatest commandment. This is the first commandment. This is, this is it. This is the foundation. This is the beginning. This is the most important thing. You're to love the Lord your God. He says you're to love him with all your heart. Now there's some debate out there and I won't go into all the debate, but there's some debate up there of what that means, kind of the short version of what it means to love God with your heart. It means that he's your identity, that he's the one that sits on the throne of your heart. You remember the story of the rich young ruler? He says, hey man, what is it, Jesus, what does it mean for me to follow you? And Jesus said, you need to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The young ruler said, I got that. I've been doing that since, a little, since I was a little kid. And Jesus said, oh yeah, there's one more thing. I need you to, you're a wealthy guy. I need you to walk away from your wealth and then you can have treasure in heaven and then you can follow me. And the God, scripture says he got sad and he walked away because he was a man of great wealth. And so what that story demonstrates is here was a guy that was saying that he loved God with all of his heart, but at the end of the day, money was sitting on the throne of his heart and he walked away from Jesus. Jesus said, we're to love him with our minds. We're we're, we're not just to have it like an emotional connection, but we're to have an intellectual knowing of the Lord. We're to grow in our knowledge of him. We're to use our minds to love him. We're to love him with our intellect. He goes on and says, with your soul. That means your emotions. That means that it's not just an intellectual uh, love. It's not just growing in your knowledge of him and reading commentaries and listening to sermons, but you actually have a love relationship with the person of Jesus. You, you ought to be emotionally connected with your Lord and your Savior. And then he goes on and says, with your strength. That means that you don't just come here on Sunday and sing songs and get emotionally connected and, and say that you're a Christian and, 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 and like grow in your knowledge of the Lord, but you're actually walking out the doors of your home and your church and you're, you're living and loving Christ with your strength, with your body, with your life. That's what it means. Our problem is, guys, is that we have a tendency as people, as individuals and even churches do this, we have a tendency to kind of major on one of those or two of those and we minor on the other three. We, 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 we gravitate towards one of the four and then we sort of put the other ones on the back burner. Some of you guys out there are heart people and you're soul people. Heart and soul people are, are feelers and they, they seek to love God primarily through a connection of emotion with Him. So when they're saying, I love God, they're talking about, yes, I've got an emotional connection with God. I come to church. I raise my hands. I sing. Yes, of course, I love God. But but maybe they're not loving God with their minds. They're not growing in their knowledge of Him. They're not pursuing Him intellectually. Maybe they're not loving Him with their strength. They're not coming out of the doors and doing something about it. You've got mind people. You've got mind people. There are churches that, that fall in this category. These are they're thinkers, they're people that seek to, to love God primarily by using their minds to understand the truths about God. And if you ask them, hey, do you love God? Because they're, they're growing in their knowledge of the Lord, they're like, yeah, man, I love God. But maybe they don't, they don't have an emotional connection with him. Maybe they're not pursuing God with their strength. And then you've got hands and strength people. Churches do this too. There are, there are people in churches, they're doers, they're, They're seeking to love God primarily by practicing and professing the things that he commands. They're the ones that are out in the city. They're the ones that are loving people. And all that stuff is great, but at the same time, they're not growing in their knowledge of sound doctrine, and they're not placing Jesus Christ on the throne of their hearts. When Jesus is describing what a person looks like that loves him, he's saying, look, we need to seek. We're never gonna do this perfectly, by the way. That's why Jesus had to come and die on a cross. But he says, we need, to, we need to seek to be people that don't major on one of these and, and minor on the others. He says, look, I want you to be a person that loves God with your heart. And I want you to be a person that loves God with your mind. And I want you to be a, a person that loves God with your soul. And we're gonna be a people that loves God with our strength. And then there's a word where Jesus gets pretty intense where he talks about kind of the depth and the breath, that we're supposed to be loving God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Go ahead and look, look at that. It's the word all. It's a pesky little word. You said we're to love God with all of our hearts. We're loving with all of our, our minds, with all of our strength, with all of our souls. And I think, and, and guys, I get on my knees and deal with this myself this week. I think one of the telltale signs that, that you're a Christian but like like the church in Ephesus, maybe you've left your first love is that if you're honest, if you're honest, you couldn't say, man, I'm I'm really pursuing to love God with all four of those. I'm, I'm not pursuing God with a holistic picture of who I am, that I'm coming and I'm bringing a divided picture of worship to God. That might be an indicator that you've walked away from your first love. The other thing that, May, may be a sign that, that you're a believer, you're going to heaven, but you maybe have walked away from Jesus being your first love, is that, is that if describing your love for God, if you were being completely honest, you would have to replace the word all with the word some. Yeah, I love God, some of my heart. Yeah, I, I, I love God with most of my mind. Yeah, I I love God with parts of my soul. I love God at at times with my strength. And Jesus said, look, I want all of you. And some of you guys might be saying, well, look, that sounds kind of intense. I mean, I go to church, I I read my Bible, I attend Bible study. I shared my faith with my neighbor the other day for crying out loud, Matt, what's the deal? Here's the thing, so was the church in Ephesus. So was the church in Ephesus. You could've looked at them and gone, these guys are crushing it, and yet Jesus looks at them and says, if you don't come back, if you don't come back to the place where everything you do, where the center of your heart and the center of your mind, the center of your soul, the center of your strength is being birthed out of your white hot affection for me, Jesus says, I'm gonna remove the power and the blessing of my presence from your church. Now again, this doesn't mean that he isn't gonna love us anymore, it doesn't mean that we're not gonna go to heaven when we die, it doesn't mean God's gonna reject us or anything like that, it just simply means that Jesus Christ is looking for churches to bless with his power. He's done it throughout every generation, from the first church until the end, he is looking, his eyes are looking for churches for him to walk among. And I don't know about you, but I wanna be one of those churches I promise you, you wanna be a part of one of those churches. And he says, here's the church that I'm looking for. I'm looking for a church that at the end of the day, everything they do, it's motivated out of this one thing, do they love me? Do they love me? Even then, some, some of you may be thinking, well, that seems like pretty harsh consequences. That sounds kind of harsh, talking about Jesus being loving, but it doesn't sound very loving, but at the end of the day, man, when you stop and really think about what Jesus is saying, you realize that this might be the most loving thing He could ever say to us. That He wants us; He wants our hearts first and foremost. I mean, think about this: Jennifer and I just um, celebrated our twenty-two year anniversary. Um, this woman, can y'all give her a hand? This woman has been with me for twenty-two years. That's a that's an impressive task to be married to me for that long. And uh, and so you know. We went out to dinner on our anniversary and we had a, had a great time. Um, Aaron Ivey and his wife were actually there with a bunch of their buds at the same restaurant and he bought my dinner. Thank you, Aaron, that was, that was amazing. You're a good dude. You, you can stay for 10 more years. That, um, but what if Jennifer and I were going on um, that anniversary date and kind of on the way, I'm thinking about it and like, well, you know, what are we gonna talk about tonight and all that stuff? And, and it kind of hits me. You know, everything's good in our marriage and, Everything seems to be going well but at the end of the day we're kind of we're kind of not connected that we're not we're kind of in a place where we're just dealing with some surface stuff and everything's going good and we're doing everything right but we really it's been a long time since we've really connected at the heart level our souls are not really connected it, that kind of hits me and and so we sit down to dinner and we order our food and there's kind of that 10 minute, 15, 20 minute break before you order your food and, and the food gets there and, 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 and I look at her and I say, Jennifer, I want, there's some things I wanna to say to you tonight. I want you to know that I think you're an amazing mother. The, the way that you serve and, and love our kids is incredible. I can't imagine a better mother than you. I, when, I, when I was young and I was thinking about what kind of mother I'd want for my future children, you have surpassed all of my imagination. On top of that, Jennifer, you're, you're an amazing wife. You're an amazing wife, you've been faithful to me. You've never drifted from our marriage to pursue another man. You're kind to me. And even when I don't deserve it, you're still kind to me consistently over and over again. Jennifer, you honor me in public, you honor me in private, you're not going to your friends and telling them everything I've done wrong and dogging them. You, you honor me in public and private. You serve me so well. You're such a servant to me and our family. You're a helpmate, just like the Bible calls um, wives to be, you're a helpmate to, your, to me, you're a helpmate to this family and our lives and our ministry. And, but what if, I, what if I said this, and Jennifer, all those things are amazing and all those things are wonderful and all those things make you the best wife I could ever imagine. But Jennifer, I need, you, I need to tell you something. I need to tell you something. Of all the ways that you're faithful to me, of all the ways that you serve me, of all the ways that you honor me and kind to me, there's something more that I want from you. Jennifer, of all that stuff, I want more than all of those things that you do for me. Jennifer, more than anything else, I want your heart. All the things you do for me, they're amazing, but more than what you do for me, I wanna know you. More than anything else, I just want to love you and all of you and I want you to love me and all of me and then let everything else that we do for one another, let it be birthed out of this one thing that I know you and I love you and you know me and you love me. What do you think she'd say to me? Do you think that she would pick up her water and drink it and then put it down and say, you know what? I already take care of the kids. And I already serve you. And I already care for you. And I've been faithful to you this whole time and now you're telling me you want my heart too? How selfish could you be? You're telling me you wanna know me too? It's ridiculous. It's not loving? No. I know my wife pretty well. If I would have said that to her, I promise you, I know for a fact, if I would have asked those things of her, her lip would have started to quiver and her eyes would have started getting red and puffy and she would have looked at me, tears rolling down her face and she would have said, Matt, that's the most loving thing you've ever said to me in your entire life. And I want you to think about the fact that that's all in the world that Jesus is asking you today. That's all he's saying to you. It's all he's saying to me. In a culture where it is not the norm, or rather it's not the exception, a culture is not the exception, it's the norm for people to use one another for what they can get from them. We have a savior that's saying to us, more than anything you can do for me, more than anything that you can accomplish, for the kingdom of God. More than anything that you can walk out these doors and do for me, more than anything else, what I want is you. I just want your heart. I just wanna know you. I just want all of you, more than anything else. sobering. It's staggering when you think about it, that we have this God. We have this God that is all-powerful. <laughs> he's all-knowing, he, he is, he's the alpha, he's the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He, he, he wasn't created and, and here, he'll never end. This is, this is a God that created the entire universe with the sound of his voice. This is a God that speaks on a throne of unspeakable light where day and night for eternity, you have thousands of angels that are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is the same God that sits in unspeakable majesty and glory and perfection. He needs absolutely nothing. And he is looking at us and say, will you just be a church? Will you just be a people? that loves me. All in the world I want is you. I'll end here. I'm almost done, but I I remembered last night late before I went to bed, I remembered the story of Peter. He's denied Christ three times. Jesus saw him do it. When Jesus saw him deny Christ the third time, Peter Peter and Jesus' eyes met. The rooster crowed. Peter went out of the gate, wept bitterly. He knows he's completely failed Jesus. Jesus rises from the grave. Everybody's pumped. Everybody's excited. They can't believe it. Peter rolls. (laughs) You ever been there where you've just messed up so bad that Sunday morning rolls around and you're like, man, I don't even think I can come. That's where Peter's at. And so he tells his friends, I'm going fishing. He goes back to what he knows. He just wants to do something to get his mind off the fact that he has absolutely blown the one thing that Jesus has asked him to do, be faithful. And so he takes off, he goes fishing and they're out all night, they're not catching anything. And the scripture says that when the sun was coming up over the mountain there on the side of the Sea of Galilee, he looked and there was a man standing on the beach. And one of the disciples says, that's Jesus. Jesus. And in that moment, it hit Peter that I may have run away from Jesus, but Jesus has never run away from me. Peter hurls himself into the water, has his clothes on, just jumps in, swims to the beach. And when, by the time he got to the beach, Jesus is cooking breakfast. He says, Peter, come sit down. And in that moment, you've got... This risen, glorified savior that's conquered death and you've got this man that's failed Jesus in the worst possible way. He's denied that he even knew him at the greatest moment of his need. And in that moment, Jesus could have asked anything of Peter and I guarantee you, Peter would have said yes. Jesus could have said, there are are so many things, Peter. You, You jacked up, you messed up, but we're not doing that anymore, man. So there's some stuff I need you to do for me. There's all these things he could have said, Peter, I need you to go out and get right. Don't ever be disobedient to me again. Don't ever deny me again. And I need you to step up your game, Peter. I need you to focus. I need, we're gonna win the whole world here to this risen Christ idea. So you better get your stuff together. That's not at all what he says. He does ask Peter to do something. He says, Peter, I need you to feed my sheep. But the first thing he does is he asks him a question. The first thing he does is he asked him a question. He says, Peter, I need to know something. Do you love me? Do you love me? Over the next three weeks, we're gonna call you to be a church that loves the church. We're gonna call you to serve, to spend your life serving thing that Jesus loved more than anything, which is his bride, the church. We're gonna call you to that. We're gonna call you to be a people that lives your life loving the city of Austin or whatever city God calls you to, to not just sit in your little house and do your thing, but to engage the city with the gospel. We're gonna call you to be a church that loves the nations. We're gonna call some of you to leave the comfort of Austin and to go to a crazy place where nobody has ever heard the name of Jesus Christ and we're gonna call you to go there and we're gonna call everybody else to jump in and help make that happen with their time and with their finances but I'm telling you guys none of that stuff's gonna work none of that stuff's gonna matter none of that stuff's really even gonna happen until we get back to this first question do you love me? Jesus is asking do you love me? Some of you are here and you're, you're a freshman. You're here from UT your first week. I just want you to know something. I, I hope that your four, five, six, seven years at UT are the greatest in your entire life. I really do. I hope that you get a 4.0. I hope that University of Texas wins the national championship like two or three times. Yeah, ain't gonna happen, but I hope it does. I hope that you go through your time here, you get the best job in the world, but I'm gonna tell you something more than anything, more than all that, the thing that I want from you, I want for you, is that many years from now, you look back at your time at this church, and you go, you think that that's the time that I fell in love with Jesus. That's when everything changed. For those of you that are here that are believers, maybe you're like, man, I've been doing this for 25 years. I've walked away. I've walked away from my first love. I would love for you to look back at this time in your life, this season, 2018, 2019, you're like, that's when I fell in love with Jesus all over again. I don't know what you're pursuing, but if you'll pursue that, everything else is gonna take care of itself. All right, let's pray together. Before we pray, just take a second. uh, Maybe this this whole summer you've been running from God. Maybe you've been in the desert. (laughs) Can't think of a better day than today than just to say, Lord, I, I don't know what this is all gonna look like, but I want you to have my heart again. I just wanna offer myself to you. He's not looking at you to thinking man you better get your stuff together you better stop you better get right he's just looking at you saying hey i want to love you i want i want your heart and i want you to have mine what a savior Father, we confess that at the end of the day, this will not happen apart from your spirit doing a work in each one of us. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal to each person the areas of their life where they're not placing you first. And Lord, I pray that you would give them the desire and the strength to come back home, to find the peace and the joy that you promise us when we put you first. Jesus, every Sunday when I pray, I always say this. I say, Lord, we love you. But I pray in this year that that would become to mean something more for us as a church. That we wouldn't just love you, but we'd love you first. Because you're worth it. And so I ask these things in the power of your name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.